today's reading comes from John 8, verses 12 to 59. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I've come from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him, because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father." We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. 
I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not fifty years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is God's word. Evening, everyone. It would be really helpful to have John chapter 8 still open in front of you. Um, my name's James. If we've not met and I'm on the staff here, it's really great to have you here with us. Um, and let's pray as we look at God's word together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you offer us freedom. And so we pray as we look at these verses now, you would give us sharp minds to understand what they say and hearts that are willing to listen to your words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, Jesus Christ offers us all freedom. He offers us freedom. But I want you to imagine for a moment that um, after the service, you wandered up Piccadilly, and by some amazing miracle, you managed to get some busy Londoners to stop and talk to you. And you did one of these kind of word association games with them. I don't know if you know how they work. So I say salt, and you'll say... Pepper, thank you, a few of you will. And I say bride, you will say, well done. I say macaroni, you say, great, exactly. Word association. So you're playing one of those games with the people on Piccadilly. And you go through a few of these, and then you say to them, religion. What's the word that pops into people's heads? I wondered, did anyone think freedom when I said religion? Did anyone think freedom? You see, the the truth is that in the mind of our culture, and I guess lots here in church as well, religion and freedom are seen as almost opposites. 
To join a religion is to become enslaved to a set of rules that saps the fun out of life or, or to a holy book that's outdated or to a way of life that makes little sense in modern Britain. At best, this slavery is a kind of a, a harmless thing that provides a, a decent framework for us to live our lives. But at worst, the, the slavery is evil. We think terrorists doing evil things, enslaved by religion. Religion and freedom are polar opposites, right? Well, whatever may be true of other religions, tonight Jesus Christ says to us that he offers us freedom, that at the heart of Christianity is freedom. If you look down at John chapter 8, verse 31, you'll see the words we've already said tonight. Look what Jesus says. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus promises us freedom. And my purpose this evening is to show you what this kind of freedom is and to call each of us to enjoy it, to enjoy being free. If you're joining us for the first time this week, we're working through John's gospel. We've hit another long chapter tonight, John chapter 8, and we'll work through a few of the verses. It's probably part two of the conversation Jesus began last week at the Festival of Tabernacles. And we're going to spend about half our time in verses 33 to 36 seeing that Jesus sets us free from sin. And then the second half, we'll look at verses 37 to 58. We'll see what the alternative to freedom is. You'll have an, uh, an outline on your sheet, so it'd be good to have that with you if you want to take notes. But let's dive into verse 33 to 36 and see that Jesus frees us from slavery to sin. So verse 31, Jesus says to us, if you hold to my teaching and are really my disciples, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? So Jesus says he'll give us freedom, but the Jews say, but hang on a second, we've never been slaves. We've never been slaves. I mean, politically, they've been slaves, but spiritually, they've never been slaves. They're children of Abraham. But Jesus explains, verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The slavery that Jesus is talking about is slavery to sin, and it's a slavery that he promises that he can set us free from. Now, I guess most of us are used to thinking about sin as an action that we do. So we lie or we gossip. That's what we think. Sin is an action, doing something that goes against God's law. But in these verses, Jesus wants us to understand sin as a power. Sin as a power. A power that enslaves us. The action of sin comes because we're enslaved to the power of sin. We sin because we are sinners. If you like, the picture is of a prison. Now, about a year ago, I was um, in Ireland, and I was, um, as part of the, the trip, we visited um, Cork City Jail in Ireland. So it was, a, it was a hot day, and we walked to the top of this hill, and it was quite a beautiful day outside, and we, we wander into to the, the prison, and you see this great stone building. It was shut down about 100 years ago, and you see sort of three tiers of cells, and they've got all these nice electric lights up there, and you wander around, some fun exhibitions, and it, it, it's, quite, it's quite nice in there. Actually, you can even have it as a wedding reception if you want. That's what they offer. It, it seemed quite nice. 
That is until you, you think back to what it would have been like 150 years ago to be a prisoner. The darkness, the cold, the, the dirt attracting rats into the cells, the, the smell, the narrow corridors, the, the cramped cells, isolation from the outside world, and then the guards. Every moment, the guards directing what you do with your day, when you wake up, when you go to sleep, what you can do during the day. And then you realize prison life is miserable. No one wants to be a prisoner. And Jesus is saying that sin is like that power that lurks in our hearts, like a prison guard forcing us to, to sit in the miserable darkness of our cell, dictating the details of our lives, so that the actions that we see, the, the lying or the, the gossiping or whatever, the action of sin comes from the power of sin. That's at work in us. We sin because we are sinners. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, of course, it's not to say that I'm therefore not responsible because it's my sin that I'm enslaved to. The power that I choose, I will, and I love. And so I am responsible. But when Jesus says anyone who sins is a slave to sin, some of us will immediately have the objection that the Jews have in these verses. We have never been slaves of anyone. I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave to sin. But there's a very simple test. A test to see, are, are we slaves to sin? Which is this, can we stop? Can we stop? If we're not a slave, we ought to be able to stop. I, I vividly remember when the first time in my life, I realized that I wasn't able to stop myself sinning. So I was away on a, um, uh, on a sort of a summer camp with the, the church that I grew up at, and um, I was, must have been 12 years old. And there were some talks in the evening that we went to. And I, I remember, I wasn't actually a Christian at that time. I'd grown up as a in a Christian family, but I had never trusted in Christ myself. And so I went along to this camp and um, I was there and I heard this talk. And I was utterly convicted that I was a, I was a sinner. I'd done loads of stuff wrong. And I, I decided, I know what I'm going to do. From now on, I vow I'm going to try really hard and I'm going to stop sinning. And I put on my serious face, as you do as a 12-year-old, and I walked out of the, the talk thinking, that's it. From now on, I'm not going to sin. Now, it was about five minutes later. I was playing uh, tennis outside with one of my friends, and it wasn't going very well because he was beating me. And that anger in my heart that came up towards him, how dare he be beating me? Towards my racket, this is useless. And actually, just towards everything. How could I be losing a game of tennis five minutes later? And then it clocked in my mind. Hang on a second. It's, it's sin. It's sin. Five minutes after vowing I'm never going to sin again. And there I go. I couldn't stop. Prison guard sin was ruling in my heart and I wanted to be free, but I couldn't be. But can you? Can you stop? Can you stop yourself sinning or are you a slave? Anyone who sins, says Jesus, is a slave to sin. So how can we be free? See, my own willpower couldn't do it. I couldn't make a vow that said, I'm going to stop. But Jesus has an answer. Jesus has an answer. Did you see it as you look down at verse 31? Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Jesus offers you and me freedom, freedom from the slavery of sin. But how is it that his teaching can set us free? Doesn't teaching just enslave us with more rules to follow? How does Jesus' teaching set us free? Well, actually, if you flick back to the very, very start of the chapter, verse 12, look what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And that's a picture that helps us to understand that as you look at Jesus and as you hear his teaching, he brings light. He brings light. He brings revelation. He reveals things to us. Just like light does. When you switch on the light, the darkness goes and he brings revelation. He brings teaching. He brings truth to us. And the light that Jesus brings, his teaching brings, reveals two very important things. The first, it reveals the truth about ourselves, that we're slaves to sin as we've been seeing. He shows us that the darkness of the cell we're living in, the misery of it, he reveals ourselves. But the second thing that he reveals to us is he reveals God. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, comes into the world and reveals what God is like to us. And he reveals to us a God who saves, a God who so loved the world that he sent his son to overcome the darkness of sin. Jesus did this by dying on the cross and rising to new life. You see, as the the light of the world died on the cross, he took our darkness. He took our sin. He served the full sentence our sin deserved. And then three days later, from darkness, he rose to new life. It's like Jesus walked into the prison and served our sentence for us, sat in the cell and served it out in full. And then in his resurrection, he walks out free. The release papers signed. And as we hold to Jesus' teaching, as we see his light, we find that he has overcome the darkness. And so as we come and we hold on to him, we find one who has freed us. We find one who has defeated darkness, who has set us free, so that we no longer have to live in the cell. We can walk out and follow him into freedom. You and I no longer have to sin. We can stop. Verse 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Of course, the question is, why do I still feel like a slave sometimes? Why is it that I still feel like a slave sometimes? Well, isn't it often the case that we feel like a slave because we take our eyes off Jesus, who is the one who has set us free? our hold on his teaching, on the the light that he reveals to us, gets loosened. His glorious salvation is forgotten. And suddenly the voice of prison guard sin gets louder and louder and we think it's powerful again. And we find ourselves crawling back into the cell and living as if we were a slave. I mean, it's no wonder that we feel like a slave because we're choosing to still live like one. Of course, we, we don't have to, but that's what we do. And it's only as our eyes return to Jesus, as we look at him, and as we see the freedom that he's won for us on the cross, as we see his resurrection that has signed our release papers, it's only then that we find freedom. We don't have to listen to the guard anymore. We can walk out of the cell. 
That's how we keep growing as Christians, as we keep our eyes on Jesus, holding to his teaching. Now, I want to to spend a minute or two talking directly to people in the room who right now are feeling enslaved by sin. When Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin, you feel, yeah, that's, that's me right now. I feel trapped. I feel like I can't get out. I've, I'm just in that cell and I'm in darkness. Maybe you, you've never told anyone about it before. It could be to all manner of different things, but you know what it is. And you feel trapped and you don't know what to do. Well, I want you to look carefully at verse 36 again for me. Look at what Jesus says. He says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. See, Jesus Christ, the light of the world, did not leave heaven and come down to earth so that you would stay trapped in darkness. He didn't die in agony on a cross so that you would remain in the cell of sin. He didn't rise to new life, signing your release papers so that you would still sit around taking orders from prison guard sin. No, he did that so that you could enjoy freedom, so that you would be free indeed. And so tonight he holds out freedom to you, freedom from the slavery to sin. He he calls you to come and to hold to his teaching, to know the truth, to trust him and find true freedom. Don't stay living in slavery for a moment longer. Don't. It may help you to to talk or to pray with a friend afterwards or find a, a member of staff or an elder here to talk that through. We'd love to. Because Jesus Christ offers you freedom. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, in one sense, I wish I could stop there. I wish I could finish the sermon right now and sit down and we could enjoy that freedom for a second. But John chapter 8 actually has a very darker tone to it. I don't know if you realized as we read through. I don't know if you realized that as we went through that, there were people in there who did not accept what Jesus offered, who turned away from freedom. And by the end of verse 59, are throwing stones at Jesus, trying to kill him. See, a question that we might still have is, why is it so bad to remain a slave to sin? I mean, I quite like my sin. It doesn't seem so bad. It doesn't seem to harm people, at least not that much. I'm quite happier. I don't want to change. Well, in these verses, we we see a group of people who will not listen to Jesus' teaching, who will not come to him for freedom from sin. And the message that Jesus has for them is serious. It, It comes with a warning attached. He says, death awaits those who won't listen. Death awaits those who won't listen. We can't go through all the details of these verses, but I'm just going to draw your attention to two things in verses 37 to 59. Family and destiny. Family and destiny. Let's have a look. Family at verse 42. Look down with me at 42. This is talking to people who will not listen to Jesus' teaching. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I've come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And he wants you to carry out your father's desires. 
Do you see what Jesus says about their family? He says to these people, he calls them children of the devil. He says they're part of Satan's family. They want to say they're children of God, but these people, Jesus says, are children of Satan. Now, our first instinct when we read something like that is to go, Jesus, that's a bit harsh. Isn't that language a bit over the top? Aren't you exaggerating, Jesus? It's a bit strong. I mean, children of the devil, that, that's sort of language that we reserve for the, the worst of the worst, isn't it? When we watch, you know, the, the serial killer TV shows and we see the, the tattoos and the, the we just go, that's, that's someone who's a child of the devil, but not these people. I mean, most of them are probably pretty nice people by the standard of the world. They're people who we'd have round for dinner. And Jesus says, you, you're children of the devil. It's pretty strong. And we certainly would hate any implication that says that if we remained a slave of sin, then we'd be in that family too. But a tip for, for reading the Bible is that if we feel the need to rebuke Jesus, then we may have got something wrong. Because that's what we think instinctively, isn't it? But when Jesus makes this distinction between being a child of Satan and a child of God, he's talking about family likeness. Now, uh, I was away a couple of weeks ago, um, and I was leading a, a camp for um, 11 to 14-year-olds. And um, one evening, um, I was kind of standing outside one of the dorm rooms that the, the, the boys were in, um, trying to help them get to sleep. And the dorm was trying to sleep, um, except there was one boy in the dorm who was not trying to sleep and trying to stop the rest of the dorm from sleeping. And so he's kind of standing out there for a while and eventually had to call him out and tell, tell him off and he goes back in. Eventually, finally, he, he goes to sleep. But the next day, he, he's kind of on my radar because you know, he's a troublemaker yesterday. I've got to, got to watch out for him a bit. The problem was that I started seeing this boy everywhere. So I'd be outside playing football and there he is. And then I'd go in for the meeting and well, there he is again sitting on the, the front row. And I'm like, how did you get there? It's pretty quick. And then I'd be in the meeting, and I'm wondering, why is he on the front row when the rest of his group is at the back? It doesn't make sense. And I puzzled over this for a few days until I realized my, my foolish mistake, which was that this one boy was actually two boys. And they're brothers, not twins, but they just looked exactly the same. <laughs> Genuinely, they, they looked exactly, if you saw them, you'd go, they're the same person, same height, exactly the same features, precisely the same. They looked the same. They shared the family likeness. And when mom and dad came to pick them up later, what do you expect to see? Exactly the same, the family likeness. You can tell because of what they look like. And what Jesus says in these verses is you can tell that the child of Satan and the child of God by their family likeness. What do they look like? Look at verse 42. You see the, the characteristic of someone who is in God's family, 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. Love for Jesus is family likeness of being in God's family. Love for Jesus. Do you remember, Jesus comes as light of the world and he reveals God to us. And so if we're in God's family, if we love God, then when we see Jesus, of course we'll love Jesus. He's the one who reveals God. Of course we'll love him. Family likeness is loving Jesus. But verse 44, you see the, the family likeness of belonging to Satan's family. Look at verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, 
for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, love for sin. You want to carry out your father's desires. Satan's desires, lies and death. Seen clearly right back in the Garden of Eden. And his children desire that too. Love for sin characterizes his family. So do you want to know if you're in Satan's family or God's family? Do you love Jesus or do you love sin? That's where you end up. Do you love Jesus or do you love sin? And it's a binary question. You cannot love both. Jesus is the light that comes in to destroy the darkness. You cannot have both light and darkness. You either love Jesus or you love sin. That's the choice that you have. We saw earlier that if you come to Jesus, if you hold to his teaching, if you believe in him, then in his light, he sets us free from darkness. He sets us free. If you come to Jesus, if you love Jesus, then there'll be no love for sin in you anymore. The person who loves Jesus is free from the power of sin and they are a child of God. But the person who does not love Jesus and so remains under the power of sin is a child of Satan. That's what Jesus is saying. And it's still true today, but by the standards of this world, you can be a very, very good and upright and moral person who people would love having around for dinner. And yet if you don't love Jesus and you remain under the power of sin, Jesus would say, you're in Satan's family because you have the same desires as him. You share the family likeness. There's family, but then look at destiny. What's going to happen to those who are children of Satan, children of God? Well, if you jump down with me to verse 51, look what Jesus says. Verse 51. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. Jesus says that people who come to him, who love him, who've been freed from the power of sin will be free from death as well. But if you look at verse 24 earlier, still on the same page, 1074, but the top of the page, verse 24 This is what Jesus said to them. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Do you see the alternative? If you obey Jesus' words, if you come to him, you will be free from death. If you don't, then you will die in your sins. Now, clearly, this can't just mean physical death. Everyone, whether a follower of Jesus or not, dies physically. So what does Jesus mean when he says, whoever will obey my words will never see death? I think it helps if we remember that life is a huge theme in John's gospel. The whole gospel has been written so that we might have life in Jesus' name. And what we find about life is extraordinary throughout John's gospel. Do you remember in chapter one, life is about having access to God, being able to call him your father. Chapter two, life is abundant. It's like this great feast that you go to and enjoy forever. Chapter three, life is eternal. It goes on and on forever. Chapter four, life is satisfying. It's like water that will quench your thirst. All your satisfactions met. Chapter five, life is about being not guilty, walking out of the courtroom innocent. Chapter six, life is having perfect provision, an endless supply of bread. These are many and varied pictures that John has painted for us of life, and it will be extraordinary. That's what he offers those who obey his words, his children. And so to face death is therefore the opposite of that, to be cut off from all of that life, to have no access to God, to be always craving and thirsting, but to never find satisfaction, to be forever not guilty, to face the punishment for sin, 
it will be awful. It's what the Bible calls hell. And they're the two choices. Those who are children of Satan go to death. Those who are children of God go to life. Just like being in those two families is a binary thing, so the destinies are binary, eternal life and eternal death. And so you may be indifferent to sin. You may think it's not a huge thing, but Jesus says it is. It's massive. Our freedom will go on into eternity or our slavery will go on into eternity. It's a big deal. Nothing could be more serious. And so as we close, I want us to come back to verse 31. I want us to come back to verse 31. Let me read it for you one more time. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Tonight, Jesus Christ offers us all freedom. He offers us freedom from the slavery of sin. He offers us freedom from Satan's family to be a child of God. He offers us freedom from eternal death for eternal life. And there may be some here who've never come to him before. Well, tonight, come to Jesus and find freedom. Find freedom. Please turn your back on sin and come to Jesus, love him and enjoy the life that he offers. And if you have come to Jesus and trusted in him, then live in that freedom. Enjoy that freedom. Keep on looking to Jesus. Hold to his teaching. Keep on seeing the light of the world. Don't take your eyes off him. Don't crawl back into the cell. Live in freedom, freedom from sin. And know that you've got life, eternal life. And it will be truly amazing. Let's pray together. Father God, none of us want to live as slaves. None of us want to face the consequences of being a slave and part of Satan's family and on our way to eternal death. And so we pray tonight that you would draw us to Jesus, who is light of the world, that we would know freedom and that we would enjoy that freedom, that we would keep on living as those who are free, knowing that the release papers have been signed in Jesus' death and resurrection. Please would you help us to enjoy that freedom this week and forever. And we pray in his name. Amen.